everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Scottish Paddlecast brought to you by the Scottish Canoe Association. You're currently tuning in to the latest episode of People of Paddle Sport series where we're catching up with the diverse characters across the Scottish paddle sport community. If you haven't listened to our earlier episodes about all our coaching conversation series with Doug McDonald, I would highly recommend that you do. I'm your host, Lara Cooper. And I'm Roger Holmes. We hope you're all keeping well. And today we're talking to Alan Cook, a paddler based in Shetland on Yale. He's a whitewater paddler, experienced open canoe leader, paddle sport coach. And we're talking about his experiences of chronic fatigue syndrome and how paddle sport has helped him through some difficult times. It is Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Awareness Day on May the 12th, and we hope this podcast will raise awareness of this challenging illness, along with long COVID, post-viral syndrome and ME, to name but a few, sharing many of these same characteristics. I'm sure that there are many of you out there who share similar experiences or paddle with people that do. Hi, Alan, and thank you for joining us today and sharing your experiences. Hi guys. Um, I guess one of the th- we we all start, we've started all our podcasts in the same way. So the question we ask everyone is: If you could paddle anywhere in the world, where would it be? Who would it be with? And in what craft? Oh dear me, that's a really tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywhere in the world, Do you know? Actually, um, I have to say Scotland, don't I? Really? <laughs> no. Uh, in all in all honesty, actually, just being in a vessel, any vessel anywhere in the world on the water has got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Really, and that's a really cop out question answer. Um, if I have to be more specific, then um, um, I've got I've got I've paddled with some absolutely amazing people in the past, um, and I still paddle with some great friends. Um, but I'm really enjoying, not in sort of including COVID times, I'm really enjoying uh, the journey uh, with my own daughter. Uh, she's now ten. I think I had her in a canoe before she could walk, probably just almost. It was around about the same time. And that's probably my favourite paddling companion at the moment. So, so it'd be with Livy, my daughter. I should probably say I wouldn't exclude my other daughter, Freya, just in case Freya's listening. Because <laughs> she's just she's moved into her teenage years and isn't so interested in canoeing with me now. But uh, Freya was, of course, canoeing with me uh, prior to Livy as well. Uh, so my daughter's is just fantastic. It's great to paddle with the kids. In terms of location... So I've done quite a few of the, of the Scottish rivers and, and spent a lot of time in Scotland as well as uh, other parts of the UK. Um, a couple of years ago, I was very lucky to paddle in Sweden and I'd really like to get back and do a lot more paddling in Sweden, both rivers and the big lakes we've got. And it's pretty cliched, isn't it, to say that uh, you know, you've got to go out to Canada and, and go and do some stuff in Canada as well. But actually, there's so much in the UK I haven't done yet that I'd like to do, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Craft-wise, it doesn't matter, does it? But open canoe is my thing at the moment. That's the last of 10 years it's been open canoe, probably. Um, but, you know, whatever, coracle, kayak, canoe, it's on the wall. It's got to be good. Brilliant. Yeah. That's lovely. Really nice to hear, Alan. Um, and, and great to hear that shared experiences with your daughters as well. Uh, you know how, how special some of those experiences can be, especially when you get to um, see them grow up with their paddling too. That's really cool. Absolutely, so yeah. we're obviously here today chatting about CFS, um, something that you live with or have lived with for some time. Um, but I wonder, just to get us started, if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of your sort of life before that. I suppose I was living a fairly, 
it's normal or not, but I've never been normal, but I was living a, a fairly active life, we can say. Uh, so I had gone through the usual process of um, falling into the trap of having a career, um, having a proper job, um, moving into management within the health and social care sector. It was enjoyable, but tough, particularly in the, in the higher level. And uh, so I think, and, and but I, I, I raised that because actually it meant that I was so absorbed into that life that I really wasn't doing the leisure stuff I wanted to be doing the, and the coaching and the activities that were more interesting and just, just much better for me. So I, I, I quit that world and um, set myself up as a landscape gardener, which I've done a little bit of as a trained as a, as a youth. Um, but I only did that as a temporary measure so that I could revalidate a lot of my qualifications and start working with young people instead of the old people that I've been working with. What actually happened is I ended up sort of coexisting with both my set, my, my gardening business and, and the coaching alongside that. So I was quite active, quite a, quite a fresh start, if you like. It was like a reboot having that, that, that change, which was great. Um, but then, of course, I was very excited and got involved in a lot of things. So I was doing the coaching um, with the outdoor education side of things, mostly water sports, uh, uh, canoeing and kayaking, etc., paddle boarding as well. And then um, alongside that, very active in my gardening. Um, I was also very keen on triathlon uh, and sort of the, the running, swimming sports. I was also teaching swimming as well, of course. So actually, I was starting to do quite a lot again and get very busy. I then started volunteering with uh, Dartmoor Search and Rescue for a short period. Um, I was only really in the early stages of that, the first year when I started to notice sort of that things were changing for me. But it, to answer the question more directly, I was, I was very active, I suppose. I was very busy uh, and family life, of course, on top of that. From that sort of active sort of work and, work and social life, what, what happened then? Um, yeah, so I was, uh, I probably, I, 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 hadn't no, I hadn't noticed it, although the changes had been occurring whilst gardening. Um, and I'd, I'd been taking sort of extended rests or more frequent rests. And I was just actually kicking myself, thinking I was a bit lazy and needing to be, you know, going canoeing instead of working in the garden or something, you know, meaning the, the fact that I was working and shouldn't be. Um, and being a bit lazy, that's how I thought of it to start with. Um, but then with my training, I was actually, I'd, I'd done quite a few sort of endurance uh, triathlon type events, sort of longer distance, open water stuff. And uh, so I was working towards, uh, in my 40th year it was going to be I think I was working towards doing a, a half Ironman um, which was sort of local to us in Devon it was whilst I was training for that during sort of winter winter months that uh, I really noticed the change because I'd go out for a run and I just couldn't do it training for the triathlon is when I really noticed a, a downturn in my physical abilities if you like the the, the running became harder the swimming became harder and the cycling was almost non-existent. I'd go out for a ride and, and turn around within, within hitting my first hill, which wasn't very far away. Um, and initially I just thought it was, it was sort of the winter blues and just struggling a little bit because of the cold weather. But it, it went on for a couple of weeks uh, and I kind of just pushed through it a little bit. And then I thought, this is getting silly now. Something's not right because it's a, it's, I'd started to miss training sessions with the search and rescue guys um, I was it was starting to impact on my work as well. So I actually did go then to the GP and his, his response was really to say that it was probably just a virus and it will pass in a few weeks. Um, what actually happened at that point really is that it just got progressively worse. Um, and over the next of a period of, of the next handful of months, 
um, I then had to start dropping things just to get by. Um, so of course, still needing an income, um, I had to then drop the things that, that were sort of less important. So the, the, the search and rescue became um, something that probably dropped first of all. I had a, a, a teaching, a regular to meet, a teaching commitment with a local school, which I just thought, I'm, although it was an income-based thing, I, it was actually quite sort of, it was, it was the one thing that was really tiring me, um, partly because I had to drive there and there was a lot of time constraints around it. So I, I had to make my excuses and, and drop that as well. At that point, I just didn't really know why I was, I, was, I felt like I was making excuses. That you must know, have been a really hard it, it was phase of it. That was very hard. Yeah, it was very best because I had a good relationship with the headmaster and I loved the kids and it was a really good job. Really, I was so lucky to be doing what I was, what I was doing. It was almost like I'd made it to the point in my life where all my things I'd done previously had, were coming together. But I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I had to drop that, which was devastating. Then things like the swimming teaching kind of finally got less and less and the coaching. And then finally, I, was, I found myself in a position where... I was blaming the weather for not doing work that ordinarily I would do as a gardener, you know, and it was, and my wife was picking up a lot of the slack um, and it was starting to impact obviously on our income as well as just my, my physical health. Going back to the GP a couple of times, he, he wasn't interested. I think it's the best way to put it. I couldn't get him interested in, in, there was, because it wasn't an, an obvious thing. It was nothing really um, he could do except rest, you know, go away and rest. It'll be fine. It was a virus. And that was pretty much what he, he told me for, for quite some time. Eventually, I was at a stage where I had quite a few, more, probably more often than not, I just couldn't get out of bed in the morning. It, it really had kind of got to a stage where, I, and again, I was still thinking it was me being lazy, <laughs> you know, but I, 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 my wife was doing the school run before going to work. She was really carrying me at that point. And it just felt awful. So it was like, right, what, what can we do about this? And I, I'd written a list with a plan to go back to the GP and I'd asked my wife to come along with me uh, or she'd asked to come along with me, something like that, but a bit of backup really. And we went together and I presented all this, this sort of stuff to him and, and he reminded me that Google was a dangerous place to find out about what I mean. I thought, oh, great, thanks, you know. Wasn't interested at all in what I had to say. and was very dismissive. My wife presented her own list, which I didn't know she'd, she'd created. So I was embarrassed about that as well, because obviously it meant that suddenly there was this big long list of stuff that she'd noticed about me as well that changed. It was just like, oh, it's just shameful. And Again, he just put this piece of paper on the side and, and really dismissed it and said that, you know, it's just viral. <laughs> um, he, he did, in his, in, in his defence, he did organise um, various blood tests um, and eliminated the obvious stuff. So we knew I didn't have cancer. We knew I didn't have any of the scary things that, that potentially could have been a cause of it. But there were, there were a few uh, indicators at that time. My blood pressure was low. My, my, my blood sugars were low and, and a bit sketchy. I can't remember. There was other other bits and bobs. Uh, my um, something called postural hypertension, where you, when you you often feel it when you stand and suddenly you feel a bit dizzy. So I was experiencing that quite a lot, which was actually not a good thing when you're working. Um, so I mentioned this, and he it, the, all those things were were on his file, but really he didn't put them together to create anything. So in the end, I I kind of um, I was just about to kind of shout and swear at him a little bit and say, "Well, stuff you," when. Um, he did say that he could possibly refer me to a support group. So that was a real kick in the teeth because what he's saying to me is, you know, it's all in my head <laughs> and I just need to get some kind of, you know, NPA, what's it called? Uh, NLP or something, you know, and it's like, that's it. You know, go and talk to somebody else. And I, that, at that point, I was definitely going to punch him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had enough, you know. 
he had alluded to depression and, and all those sorts of things. And I think by that point, you know, when I first saw him, I was far from depressed. I was at the happiest point in my life. I was, I, I'd quit a kind of sensible job and I was doing some really great things now in my life. But I, I probably was pretty low in mood, maybe depressed by the time we got to this stage, six months on, because, because I, was, I was being carried. So my wife said, as I was getting up to leave, she said, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll do that. I looked at her and I'm not happy about this, but well, let's go with it. So um, her, her perspective was, well, look, if we meet other people at this thing, you might find other, other avenues to explore that the GP isn't exploring. Um, what actually happened was he couldn't, he couldn't actually refer me to the support group. It had to come from a consultant. So I ended up inadvertently being referred to a consultant. And the consultant probably learned more about me in 40 minutes than the GP had done in months and months and months of, of talking to me. Uh, and it was like, finally, it was like, wow, I'm being listened to. What I didn't realise at this particular stage was that this consultant was an MECFS uh, specialist. That was his thing. And so suddenly he started on a journey or started me on a journey of exploring uh, a process of elimination, really, is what they do. So they, he obviously had in mind that it could be uh, some kind of chronic, chronic fatigue um, event. So started eliminating all these issues. He started exploring some of those signs and symptoms I'd had, so the blood pressure, etc. The other things they were looking at, of course, was things like thyroid and, and, and uh, possibilities of, of imbalances there as well. So <laughs> it start, that, that itself started out as quite a positive journey as well. I think at one point I did say to the consultant, I diagnosed my GP as being depressed. This was before I realised the two of them were drinking buddies. Because <laughs> 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 um, I think my GP probably was. He probably had a full of it. You know, they have a busy life as well. So you know, it's, it's, it's a tough life for them. Anyway... I'm rambling. So what we got to is a stage where he'd eliminated all the obvious stuff and decided I had chronic fatigue syndrome and that that was what it was. Um, and at that point, I'm thinking, yippee, great. We can we can treat this. Or, you know, there's a way forward. Of course, there isn't a magic cure for it, really. Um, there, there are uh, there are management strategies for it. Um, okay. And that's where that's sort of another journey that I'm. I suppose I'm still on. Really, I have to manage it. You know. What was uh, the? Um, just remind me what the timeline was then. When you sort of oh. got a diagnosis, is that a few years ago? From well, from that actual process of me becoming ill um, would have been about seven or eight. Well, six or seven years ago. That's when triggers okay. started to happen. Yeah. That's, so we're talking seven or eight years ago. In terms of the actual getting to the stage of some kind of diagnosis. Um, we're talking about a, a year to eight mm -hmm. to 18 months, really. Um, mm -hmm. It was quite a long, a long process, a long journey. It's really interesting listening to you talking about the, the really clear link between the physical symptoms, but also the psychology that goes along yeah. with um, something like chronic fatigue syndrome or being undiagnosed with something and all the, the noise that goes on yet in your head um, yeah. in amongst yeah. that being really hard. Yeah. And I think a friend of mine's a, a clinical uh, psychologist and, and um, he's, well, he's fantastic, actually. But he, 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 of course, said, you know, the body and mind are so closely linked, you know, in terms of medicine. We've mm -hmm. only really scratched the tip of the iceberg as, as uh, professionals in terms of exploring how that all works together. Yeah, absolutely. And you say that um, obviously still living with and that does sound like such a, um, a really difficult time for you. How did you get through it? What were the things that helped you? Yeah, so I, there was, there was a couple of things, really. I 
was referred to an occupational therapist. And again, I've cut with my cynical head, I'm like, what are they going to do? You know, but and actually, um, I should I should add, of course, I worked in the health and social care sector for some time in rehabilitation, in fact. So I kind of I had a medical model approach to stuff in my life anyway. And you know, when when I 20 odd years ago, when I'd done some training in, in nursing, um, you know, we were taught that people with ME, um, it was a lazy person's disease. You know, it was very much unknown back then, you know, and it was very much talked of in a derogatory way. So my approach to the healthcare professionals was, was one of caution because I was thinking they were going to judge me. You know, I was thinking that uh, I'm somebody now that is, is on a list of failures. You know, that's how it kind of. So, so when I was approaching these, these professionals, I was a bit kind of cautious anyway. Mm -hmm. But I was introduced to this occupational therapist. And of course, she'd been tasked to, to specialise in and focus on kind of these kind of conditions. So her knowledge base was fantastic. And she'd met people in much worse conditions than myself. So she wasn't judgmental and she was really um, very supportive from the start, which was fantastic. So really the journey with the GP, which was terrible, journey with the, the consultant was, was better. Get, getting to these other healthcare professionals uh, was amazing and actually um, started to, to really get me thinking about accepting what I've got and what I, how I have to deal with it. So some of the strategies that uh, that worked, I mean, they, there's, there's journeys you can go down, including things like um, you know, NLP, uh, neurologist programming. There's all sorts of, of strategies that can work with different people. For some people, pain medication is essential because actually you know, aches and pains is, is a big deal I, I again I'd probably been self-medicating for years without realizing I'd be daily dosing on, on ibuprofen and paracetamol because of my joints were in so much pain and again I hadn't made the connections so yeah the OT was able to kind of make things a bit more real for me in terms of this is happening and this is what we can do to deal with it and you're okay it's all right you know <laughs> it's okay to be and you, and you can live a, um, you can live a life and, and, and a, norm, a reasonably normal life with strategies to just work around things. The, the other thing that, that was uh, really useful was that at this, I have to say, of course, I was at a very low point physically and emotionally, but, but I was reassured that people do get better or, or better is probably the wrong phrase. People do improve to a point where actually life is good again, you know, and, and I, I guess I'm at that stage now. One of the biggest strategies um, or, or things is physio probably gave to me was if you can imagine a, a big a big arching bridge and you've got point a on one side of the river you've got point b on the other side of this river and it might well be that um prior to, to cfs it would have been a flat bridge and i'd have just run straight across it no thoughts to, to the getting across at all what we do in sort of with, with the these kind of conditions i guess and what i've had to do is put in place extra supports along that bridge so I can still get from A to B, but it might be that it takes me five rests instead of three or, or whatever, you know. So it's building in strategies into the day that make sure that I don't do too much. I don't do as much, maybe. And I think over time, I've now realised or I've now got a much better sense of when I'm starting to break and need to just pull back a little bit and, and not do so much or put in those extra rests to make sure I can keep going on that journey. Bringing that to a canoeing example would be a case of maybe shorter days or longer days, but with more stops. You know, it's, uh, it's uh -huh. about strategizing slightly differently. Just a little bit back to the, your experience of the GP. <laughs> is, is it lack of their understanding, do you feel? Is it just lack of knowledge? So uh, awareness? I think a little bit. That, so 
we're, we're trying to be as respectful to my medical yeah. colleagues as I can. Um, GPs are great, but of course, you know, general practice is that is the key word. They have to be generalists. They have to be kind of almost experts in everything, but but masters of none. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, so GPs have their own specialisms. They have areas where they are just more interested in something or more knowledge about certain areas. Um, I think my GP was a geriatrician and his area was elderly care. Okay. Um, so he was a generalist when it came to everything else. And I don't know how many other people he had with, with the, my conditions or, or whatever on his books. Um, it might well be that, uh, coming back to the cynical element of this, my old school training was, you'd be, it's a lazy person's disease. There is no, because there is no obvious sort of, you know, there is no broken bone. Um, we're going to put it, we're going to blame something else. It could be because it's your mental state or it could be that you're just making it all up, you know? And I think, so there could be a, my cynical element would be a, a sense of dismissing something because they can't diagnose it. And so a combination of, of, of lack of specialism and perhaps a lack of interest in those areas might be a factor. Uh, is it difficult? Like you say, a little bit, the diagnosis is difficult because the symptoms are so, well, this so is, variable. You can't take the symptoms and go, aha, that's what you've got. Right, okay. You have to actually eliminate other illnesses to get to the diagnosis. And so and so that's another reason why things can take so long, because you, you have a ream of blood tests and various other things going on, but, uh, and they have to do all of this. They can't not do these tests before they get to that point of saying, this is what we think you've got. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Yeah, no, thanks for that. <laughs> the other thing, I, I mean, I obviously, because Dr. Google is fantastic, uh, and also having a little bit of knowledge in the past from my own medical experiences, I had my own sort of thinking. Uh, so whether I threw in red herrings for him, I don't know. But those, those sort of thoughts were along the lines of, you know, overtraining, for example, maybe could can have that effect on people. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a stupid amount. It was ridiculous, so, you know. And, some people are good at it and some aren't. And I think my body just got to a point where it, maybe it broke. So that could be a, a reason. Uh, like, like many of the listeners here who particularly enjoy wild camping and, and doing a lot of outdoor um, stuff, uh, for me, ticks is a real problem. And, and I am a tick magnet. I remember stopping, in fact, it was up at, it was up at Glenmore Lodge. We'd stopped for a, a, um, a canoe conference up there having paddled a week-long trip, but prior to that had a, a few days in the mountains, and I kept finding ticks on me. I thought, this is ridiculous. So we'd stopped at Glenmore Lodge, and I'd just sort of stripped my clothes down, stripped me, emptied my rucksacks, and I said, this is, where are they coming from? And finally, you know, turned my, my sleeping bag inside out to find 20 or 30 ticks in there, you know. <laughs> uh, wow. um, and they'd be just breeding on me at night, you know. And, and, uh, <laughs> so, and, I, and, and through my mountain leader, not my mountain leader, sorry, through my uh, search and rescue um, exploits on Dartmoor, I'd come home with a tick invariably once a week, at least on that as well, you know. So for me, it wasn't unrealistic that possibly, and I knew I'd had a few red rashes, not necessarily the, the uh, bullseye rash to talk about, but I know uh-huh. I've had reactions to them in the past. So it wasn't unrealistic to think perhaps that's another thing that's causing this. Mm. Um, and again, you, if you look at that, the symptoms could be similar. Um, it's still, in my mind, something that perhaps could be a problem, and I am a carrier of it. It's just not detected in the, in the tests. You're telling me you had a Lyme disease test yeah, at one yeah. point? Yeah, so that was one of the... What he did find, so again, bearing in mind all my, my experiences in the outdoors, the GP did take a blood... Finally, with my nagging, he did take a blood test and sent it to the lab um the lab sent the bloods back and said it's not uh, it's not uh, well, i can't remember the words were now but it was something along the lines of uh, it's not valid enough 
um, so they refused to do it. So he sent it back again to say, well, if you, this is what this guy's experiencing. You know, this is what he's done. He's getting ticks regularly. So they did finally do a test, but it came out, came back NAD, no actual diagnosis. So it came back with, uh, no, you haven't got it. And that's it. Rather than, as everybody knows, with a little bit of research, it doesn't mean you haven't got it. It just means that the, the signs aren't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who knows? Look out, people. Mind mm-hmm. those <laughs> Yes, that's a really good, a really good bit of yeah. advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and you've been, you've been pretty active um, paddling. And like I know when we were chatting last week, you were telling me about some of the multi-day trips you've done and some of the canoe trips. How has that, how's that, how have you managed that, I guess? Share some of the experiences from those trips and things in terms of the strategies you put in place. And So I think I'm very lucky, as I've alluded to earlier, that I'm very lucky that I paddle with some great people both in terms of how they paddle and, you know, their experience and competencies, but also in terms of just lovely personalities, lovely people that like me, <laughs> care about me enough to, to want me to be with them whilst they're paddling, you know, and don't consider me a hindrance. Well, they might do, but they let me come along anyway. And so I think probably putting myself in a position where I'm in a supported environment is, is, has been essential. So I, I have, I've done a, a reasonable amount of sort of solo trips in the past but I have to say, I remember the conversation with my wife where I just basically stopped doing anything on my own. I was so worried about what might happen that um, for a long time, I stopped doing anything on my own. So it was really important I had people I could paddle with and feel safe. And they knew what was happening. I had to be honest with them as well so that they knew not to panic, but to just to keep an eye on me. Uh, so, yeah, supportive peers is, is really important. We're, again, working with people as well. So uh, with, with both the, the, the canoe coaching, the swimming teaching, uh, I, I worked with some great people. They knew what I was going through and were in a position to, to enable, that, enable me to continue working, but being mindful that they had to manage that a little bit as well, which was wonderful. So in the early days, um, I was probably doing very little and I was making lots of excuses still, but it was about a little bit at a time and just building it up gradually. I'm still not doing anywhere near as much as I'd like to. Uh, and uh, that's probably, so I'm, I'm in a very lucky position. I mean, we relocated to Shetland and that that's given us a lot of, a lot of um, privileges, if you like, in life now, you know, we've, we were able to have be mortgage free, which is phenomenal. But by doing that, it's meant that it, I can adapt my life. So it's 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 one of the factors in doing in making this move was to enable us to adapt our lifestyle. So I am now in a position where I don't have to work full time, which is wonderful. But it does mean that I can do other things and and enjoy other things in life. Do you think there's something maybe that paddling is maybe better for your situation than maybe other other sports? Absolutely. So at 100%. So probably paddling was the first activity I was, I felt safe and comfortable moving back into, not just because of the support network and the people I was paddling with that, that was a huge part of it, but also because yeah, you can get on the river, you can sit in a boat, (laughs) drift, and you can enjoy that amazing wildlife, that amazing scenery and then stop and have a break and then drift a bit further and you can put a few strokes in and and just get a little bit faster. There's things you can do in paddling, which means you're getting outside. And of course, the the, the positive knock-on effect of that is at every stroke, you're feeling better. (laughs) (laughs) Mentally, you're feeling amazing because you're doing something that you didn't think you could do again. And that was a a massive factor. Um, I'm still not, incidentally, I'm still not really able to run uh, or, or do any of the triathlon sports like I'd like to. Running has become a bit of a no-no, but I just, just, I just struggle with that. Oh, well, again, I suppose because canoeing has never been a competitive sport for me. It's always been about 
Um, it's always been about being wholesome and about making it, it's my medicine for life isn't it it's about it's what keeps you going it's, it's what if you need to do something get out on the water and so I've never had to worry about looking at the clock and worrying about my speeds or times I've, I've made sure of that it's not something um, I've had to, to worry about whereas with running swimming and cycling particularly and even mountain walking, walking to a degree I've always measured myself against a clock um, and so the idea of doing any of those sports in not even anywhere near the times I used to be able to do um and that's not even including the you know <laughs> my my aging years which is obviously mm -hmm. having a factor so yeah canoeing is definitely um something that has um been a key factor in my cure if you like <laughs> because it's the one thing I've, I've been able to con consistently do that's amazing to hear yeah. and and yeah. I can really appreciate how that that sense of being able to get out on the water and be in the outdoor environment and and enjoy the the feeling of the boat moving over the water and how good that feels when so many bits of your life have been held back. Yeah, 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 absolutely. From from the coaching side of things as well. I mean, I'm doing very little of that now, moving at, at the moment up here. I had hoped I was on the I was starting to make pathways into the sea coaching side of things um getting involved with some courses and things up here before covid came along of course so i'd just done my vhf radios uh course i was i booked in to do my four-star leader in sea kayak there was various things i was going to be doing uh, it's all all sort of gone by the by really unfortunately but but with coaching in mind of course it, it, again it's something you can still do which is great um and you just have to be really honest with and, and aware of your limitations particularly on the sea, of course, where an open water where, you know, if things go wrong, it's the consequence is quite significant. But uh, yeah, it, absolutely. So there's a lot you can still do, uh, which is, is wonderful. Really. That's brilliant. I think my next question, um, you've chatted a bit, you've chatted about the people around you and how important they are. Um, to our listeners who perhaps might be paddling with other people who might have chronic fatigue or long COVID, something along those lines, what advice would you give them um, to help to help them provide that supportive environment that you chat about? I think ultimately it's encouraging an, an open and honest dialogue. I think that probably like me, there's quite a few people out there that, that I'm, I'm not bothered anymore about it. Although, I, you know, I still don't like to talk about it, but bizarrely, as I'm here, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think maybe only my a couple of my colleagues actually know, you know, the, the people that need to know know, management, etc. But um, it, I'm still a little bit embarrassed about it, so I don't really talk about it unless it's something that has to uh, need, is a need to know thing, if you like. Um, having said that, I have spoken to some people because I thought, well, it might benefit them, actually. And so as, a, as a, an outsider looking in, I would say that if you're working or, or, or paddling with somebody who's told you they have any chronic fatigue, whatever, or, or any of those um, sort of conditions, um, it, I would say go out and do a bit of reading. There's an awful lot of stuff on, on the computer and, and what have you now. You can find out an awful lot of information. It's way better than, than it was a few years ago. Um, lots of support groups, Facebook and, and what have you. So there's an awful lot of information out there. So don't, um, don't just think that that individual you're working with is managing it. Get, your, get yourself up to speed with, with what to expect um, because they may not tell you everything. What, what's great about it, I suppose, is <laughs> what's what's bad about it is it affects people in different ways. And some people, you know, are, are so badly debilitated that they spend a very long time in bed. You know, I've, I've spoken to people who've had years in bed, literally. Um, 
which is just awful. And I'm, mm. I'm very lucky I haven't been in that situation. But, uh, you know, there are people like me who are, who are still trying to be active and getting out there and, and, and managing it in some way or another. And, and I've got a reasonable amount, or I've got enough knowledge that I can manage myself. And I'm also expect, uh, accepting enough of it now that I can talk to people if I feel I need to. Um, or, or have to and I think that if you're if you're in groups or you're in a situation particularly where actually temperatures and conditions might change overnight or, or hour to hour that can affect me you know if it gets cold and I get cold my bones get cold and it's not just about the hypothermia or tiredness it's it's a little bit more than that or a lot more than that in fact you know my friends are aware of this and, and Clive will give me an urge and say come on let's have something to eat you know and he won't you won't carry on until I've eaten something um so again, if you're with people that are in that situation, just have a really good awareness that they tell you they're okay, they might not be. So you do need to be watching them. Yeah, you know? really good advice. And, I, and also really, um, it's really interesting to hear you say that a lot of people probably won't mention it. So we need to be on the, yeah. the lookout that when someone says they need to stop, they probably need to stop. <laughs> that goes across the board, doesn't exactly. it? And it is a difficult one as well, because I know I'm not living the life I would have been without it. But at the same time, I am living a pretty good life now where I don't consider myself to have it, if that makes sense. But I know I know that there are times where I have because it, it comes back and reminds me. It may, I'm talking about myself and I can't talk for other people. But in my case, it could well be, you know, oh, it's only a day's paddling. I won't I don't need to tell anyone. <laughs> and, I'll, and then maybe something will happen. I go, actually, I, I need a rest now. And. Do I mention this or do I just make an excuse for an at rest, which might be a way around it? You know? um, the yeah. other thing, of course, is, is confidentiality. It is something that, you know, some people do like to talk about it and quite open. Some people obviously don't like me. But I think that um, so as, a, as a, a group leader or as a, a friend or as, as a coach, whatever, whatever role you have, um, it's important to remember the confidentiality of those people and really be discreet. It might be they've told you, but don't want anyone else to know. So it's managing those breaks without people knowing why you're pulling that break or whatever it might be yeah no that's that's a that's it's really interesting and and, and just reminding people to go and find out more information it's it's a funny i think obviously with with covid of course and long covid it's which is fantastic suddenly it's become a, a thing <laughs> um and so everybody's interested in it and and suddenly there's an awful lot more you know and i think and i think over the next 12 months or so we'll find out even more about it whether it comes, whether there's more money thrown into research, which would be wonderful if there is, but certainly in terms of publicity and uh, uh, there'll be a greater understanding, I think, from people that it exists in whatever form and whatever reason they've got it. There will be people out there that, that uh, need support. We're so, you know, as someone with, with CF, CFS, what, what do you find the most significant challenges are when you, you face it within paddling? Um, I mean, you say it's the, the probably easiest sport you managed to get back into, but what what do you find the challenges on in paddle sport are? It's for me, I would say you because you've had, I've had to develop a different way of thinking about the world, if you like, and managing my own active life. Um, motivation can be quite tough um, because actually you do get into and this, maybe this is why they call it lazy person Steve, because actually, whereas I would probably just say yes to something and go and do it. I might actually go, I'll find excuses not to go and do something. And that's purely down to my concerns about what if, what may happen. So there is that back of the mind thing where I'm, I'm not as motivated, perhaps. So I do have to give myself a bit of a kick or my wife has to give me a bit of a kick, whatever, to, to, to get out and do stuff. A classic, uh, most recent example would be, so we don't have any particular, 
moving water on Shetland, apart from what surrounds us. But uh, when when we get to, in the winter, when we get the, the heavy rains, we do get a couple of burns that, that that come up high enough that you can get the kayak on. And there's one just around the corner from us, which is fantastic. And for for quite a lot of time, I, every time I pass it, I'd look at it and go, I can get a kayak down there. I really must do this. Oh no, maybe I won't. What if? Um, and I found excuses not to do it. Um, usually it was because I was too tired. So it wasn't just the motivation. I was just too tired and, and it would be like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm too tired. But because I'm waiting for the rains, it's not something I can do tomorrow. I have to wait weeks or months before I can do it again. In this case, I had to wait a year for the next season to come through before I could do it again. So it's, it's, it's motivation. Managing that tiredness is, is a tough challenge, but also not being afraid to just have a go and get on with it because, uh, it's very easy to go, oh, it'll be there next year, it'll be there next month or whatever, and then be disappointed. And I'm, I'm, I'm hugely disappointed with myself when, when I don't get on and do stuff. So the challenges are probably making sure you say yes as much as you can, if, if you can. You know, the, the, the other thing, again, it all comes back to those, those um, bridge supports. Um, so on those occasions where I did eventually go and paddle this burn, I knew that I had to plan. It was planning. You know, I knew the rains were coming. I knew there was a likelihood this burn was going to be up. So I made sure I had the energy to do it. If that makes sense. You know, mm. I, I kind of got yeah. timing. I've got, I've got all the ducks in the right order and all that. So it's a, it's a funny illness. <laughs> Having um, obviously been around it for a few years now, I've met quite a few people that you wouldn't expect to have it, who have had it or have got it or whatever, mm. um, um, who are probably far more inspirational than I am and have achieved some great things. So it, it shouldn't stop you uh, living a, a, a pretty much normal life. But for the most eventually you know at some point I hope you just have to keep battling through it really and if if there were if there were listeners listening in today um who were perhaps who have chronic fatigue syndrome or long covid and they're thinking about getting into coaching or leadership what would you say to them go for it absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> the way the way that the system works now with coaching of course is there are so many doors open to people and you, you've just got to it is baby steps so if you if you are struggling at the moment, don't be put off by becoming a support, you know, a support coach and doing something and just shadowing other coaches and seeing if it's any good for you and if it's something you can cope with and, see, and just just uh, literally one day at a time really and, and see how you get on. Don't don't not do it because of this. You can always give it a go. And I that that's the other thing, of course, is my my sort of philosophy and probably always has been anyway is what's the worst that can happen? You know, it just doesn't work. You know, so try something else. Um, but if you don't try it, you're going to live with regret. Baby steps. There's lots, lots of opportunities in the coaching scheme now for, for people to do all sorts of stuff without having to be, um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lovely. It's been um, really inspiring listening to you chatting today, Alan, and really appreciate, really appreciate you opening up and sharing your thoughts with, um, with our listeners, um, especially given that you you know outwardly said you don't like talking about it so we really do appreciate and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate hearing your story there is loads here that listeners at home can take away from this um paddling can really help us through difficult times in our lives um Alan has really shown that we can reset our goals and go on to achieve things that perhaps were different to what we thought we might be aiming to achieve um and hopefully there we've left you inspired to to do, to get out there and do more paddling and and as alan says to go for it what have we got to lose so thank you everybody at home for listening 
Um, be sure to like and subscribe to us whenever you listen to, our, to your podcasts. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify and Apple. We hope you enjoyed listening today. And more importantly, we hope that everyone is keeping safe. Goodbye. Thank you.